Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Blueprint Across America podcast. I'm Chuck Brotman, today's host. Haven't done one of these for a while. Really excited to jump into this. Um, Blueprint, we help companies, B2B SaaS principally, hire exceptional go-to-market talent anywhere across the country with recruiting processes and services to help companies find great people that others often miss. In this podcast series, we aim to speak with talented and thoughtful professionals from cities and states across the country and Canada, I'll add, since we have a guest from Canada today on, on a range of business and management topics. I'm incredibly pleased to introduce you to Rachel Shi. She's currently a founder in residence at Entrepreneur First and previously was a senior manager of partnerships at Vidyard, who also writes and does podcasts on a range of topics spanning sales, leadership, and personal development. Rachel, I think I... Uh, I think we got connected uh, probably a year and change ago, and I've been really just incredibly impressed by your content. So glad you agreed to, to join us. Thanks for being on the show today. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. It's uh, a long time coming. I, uh, I, I would love it maybe to, to kick things off if you can tell our listeners more about yourself and, uh, and the work you're doing today at Entrepreneur First. Yeah, for sure. So uh, a quick high level, uh, currently a, uh, a founder in residence with Entrepreneur First. Uh, Entrepreneur First is a global talent investment platform. So for those of you who have been in sort of the, the startups or the SaaS world, uh, you know, they uh, their value prop is investing in high potential talent. So you enter as an individual, you find your co-founder and you leave with a company. So that's kind of the, the value prop. Um, so incredibly excited to, to get started there. Um, prior to that, pretty much being in B2B tech sales my entire career, so was in, in partnerships at, uh, at Vidyard most recently, but uh, you know, worked as a, an account executive at a, a number of startups and scale-ups in the, the Toronto tech scene, from Hootsuite to uh, a, a startup called Essential Accessibility. Um, prior to that, all of that, though, I actually started my career in design, so went to school for, for games design. Uh, and, you know, from there worked in sort of a range of sort of creative agency, agency jobs back home in Australia, uh, where I'm originally from. Fantastic. I, uh, I'd love to spend a few minutes talking about your, um, your journey from sales into entrepreneur first. And I'll preface this by saying, I, I know a lot of individuals who've made this, made this move. Uh, I, I'm, I honestly don't, don't always find it that personally interesting. In your case, you've said a lot of just really intriguing things about this and about kind of your interest in continuing to challenge yourself and, and take on new challenges. Uh, I, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about maybe your journey kind of into and out of sales. Like what, what led you into sales to, to start? Um, and, and tell me more about your decision to, to leave Vidyard and, and to try something new like this. Yeah. So, I mean, Chuck, you know my, my thoughts on sales, right? And, you know, we can definitely sort of talk through that. Uh, you know, later on in this this episode. But uh, for me, I mean, like many people, I think I just, you know, I fell into sales, right? It wasn't a, uh, a designed or engineered effort. I was always a, a very creative like child, uh, you know, always wanted to, to do something creative, uh, you know, when I grew up. But uh, for me, the reality of working in the creative industry when I, I got out of school was, not so much, um, it didn't match up to what I had expected. It um, actually wasn't even that creative at all. I found it to be kind of uh, sort of stagnant, right? Like you're just sort of sitting behind Photoshop every day, sort of taking revisions from clients some days, you wouldn't even talk to anybody new. Uh, so I was doing that for a little bit. 
and um, kind of felt like I was in a rut. You know, this was kind of like my early 20s or so. Uh, so I took the opportunity to just do a little bit more self-reflection, uh, you know, applied to a bunch of jobs, got rejected from a bunch of jobs, you know, and uh, the one job that I ended up getting was a, uh, an account management position at a, a small agency. Uh, so this was when I was around 22, 23. And this was like my first official sales job, right? It was a um, kind of like a recruitment advertising agency is what they, they called it. And I managed a book of business, 250 clients, uh, law, everything ranging from sort of growing the accounts to net new, uh, you know, uh, expansion. Right. And that was when I realized that, um, you know, this was something that I could be quite good at. I um, did really, really well. It was a, a very fast paced role where not only was I doing the selling, but I was actually executing on what I sold. So I designed the ads, I wrote the ads. Uh, and then, of course, coordinated the, the media placement. So, yeah, really, really tough job, you know, for sure, like doing so much at, at uh, sort of all at once, but uh, really helped me discover some of my, my core strengths, which um, sort of took me into sort of the, the tech sales world after that. One question on that was during your, your tenure there, what did you have, was it a specific, like, do you remember an epiphany in a moment where you said, wow, I'm I'm really good at this? Or was it just kind of just a gradual self-realization as you were going through that. And I'm curious, like how you arrived at that, at that personal decision or verdict, if you want to call it that. Yeah. So, I mean, to start off with at that role, it was more sort of farming, like account management, right. relationship management, right. And that, um, I mean, that came, that felt pretty natural to me. It wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't go undergo sort of any big realizations there. I think for me, the turning point actually came when a uh, sort of a, a net new sales rep there left the company. And as a result, me and a couple of other reps actually had to take on her duties. So, you know, we like while they were sort of filling the role, uh, we had we just got this list, like a spreadsheet of her accounts. And basically we're told, you know, go in and get this business. Right. So that was like a brand new thing to me. I didn't even expect, uh, you know, that was going to be my role signing up to it. But it just turned out to be the best like learning experience ever. Um, so that was when I got to you know understand what cold calling meant. You know how to open right. up, a, how to to quickly build rapport. <laughs> you know how to to quickly convince someone to to, to buy something. Uh, so it was through that process that I really came to understand just how. I mean, how resilient I was. I guess you know like that. That's and that's been a core value of mine, just in terms of you know, succeeding in anything, uh, you know, just trying to like uh, learn quickly, right. Go through the, the, the trenches, like go through the grind of, of sales and uh, you know, just keep going. Right. That was right. kind of like what I, I did. And I ended up becoming the, the number one account manager in that agency. It was like a, a small agency, you know, 15, 20 people, but still that was uh, a pretty proud accomplishment just from going through that process. It's really interesting. I, you know, I think, um, I might be taking us a bit off topic, but but in, in thinking about you know career tra trajectories and how people get into sales, you know there's a, there's a lot of advice out there about you know the importance of of teaching, and, and I certainly do this as a recruiter about you know, teaching early talent, you know how to do diligence and, and ensuring that they're finding the right environment um, where they'll get coaching and development to succeed and get trained and learn the skills, but at a certain level, it almost sounds like maybe we focus too much on that. And it's, it's more about, we're just encouraging people to like, 
to take that, take that plunge and try new things. And even if you end up in an environment that that's not perfect, you're going to learn a lot about yourself in that process. Am I, would you agree with that? I'm not sure I feel that way, but just kind of putting that out there from what you've shared here, at least in your case, right? I mean, gosh, Chuck, I remember, I mean, when I was much younger, that's, that was always something that I wished for, right? Like, oh God, I wish that my manager was better. You know, I wish they would help me more or, you know, I wish that my company would pay for certain types of training that would, uh, you know, help me sort of close the, the gap on the learning curve. But honestly, like looking back, I like the, the fact that I didn't really receive that in any of my jobs has been a blessing in disguise because it taught me the ultimate tool, which is just being resourceful and taking right. ownership of your, your learning, which is then I think had so many more corollary effects into like the, the other parts of my life too. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, great. Like amazing. If you, you do get into an opportunity where you do have a manager who's actually hands-on and actually cares and actually knows more than you and can sort of pass on some of those learnings. Amazing. But on the other side of the coin, like if you end up in a, in a role and you don't have that, don't despair either. Uh, make the most of the opportunity, right? Take things into your, your own hands and you know, see what you can, can do with it. Because again, like that's, the, the, you're going to learn an amazing lesson just, just taking on that particular type of mindset and ownership uh, sort of mindset. Let's talk about knowing when it's time to leave and maybe the, your most recent journey. I, I, I think I saw one of your recent LinkedIn posts and by the way, for anyone listening who does not follow Rachel, she is definitely one of my top five followers on LinkedIn, even when I don't agree with her. Every one of your posts I find to be so provocative and original. But you posted about, um, or maybe you wrote a blog, I, I don't remember the specifics, but about you know it being time to leave. And, and, and maybe can you talk a little bit about how you decided it was time to leave such a great company like Vidyard and, and go do something on your own? I think your tenure was relatively, at least by like traditional standards, right, was relatively light at Vidyard. Um, how did you know at that time it was time to move on and what can maybe others learn from you about that decision? So my core philosophy to knowing when it's time to leave is just when it doesn't make sense anymore, right? Any, you being in any role uh, it, it has to make as much sense for the employer as it does for, for you. It's, an, it's right. an equal business partnership, right? And I think that's something that a lot of younger reps forget sometimes. They get caught up in roles or just sticking around at, at jobs that don't serve them anymore uh, because they get caught up in, oh, like, you know, I've got to stay for X amount of time or, you know, I've just got to, you know, stick this out. And, you know, there is value to, to some of that, right? It's, it's a nuanced right. topic. Uh, but for me, I've always been a very intuitive person and I just know kind of when the, the right time is, uh, you know, sort of having sort of given all my, my past sort of jobs that I've had. So just to, yeah, for, for Vidyard specifically, uh, I just hit the ceiling of growth, right? So that's been more, one of the more consistent themes for me in terms of when I've decided it's time to, to move on. It's when I'm not learning anything new. Um, when I'm not being stretched, when I'm not being challenged. Uh, and I mean, with the Vidyard thing specifically, you know, it wasn't even that necessarily. It was also the, the serendipitous fact that I got the opportunity to, to join Entrepreneur First. The, uh, the GM reached out to me sort of, uh, you know, around about, I guess, late uh, last month and um, it all moved really quickly. So I was like, this is an opportunity that I'm not going to give up for, for anything. And Vidyard's always going to be there. Like, just remember that the company's always going to be there. Right, right. If something doesn't work out, like you can always shift and pivot 
your life is a series of choices and uh, no choice is irreversible either. That's kind of the, another mantra that I live by. So. Yeah. I think that's a really important point and observation. I, I see a lot of early and, and, and mid-level talent that sometimes is, and I, I can fall into this trap myself that, you know, of overthinking, right. And, and, and worrying about making the wrong decision, but you're right. If, if you comport yourself the right way throughout your journey, you can, you can go back, you can make lateral moves, et cetera. And, I'm thinking about, you know, what you shared earlier in terms of, you know, resourcefulness and resiliency and you know, being important to your development, that that for many people, that may be a good way to look at when it's time to move on when, you know, it, it, in my opinion, it shouldn't be because, you know, you've had a tough month or a tough quarter or things are suddenly feeling, you know, really challenging and stressful, right? That might be, but it also might be something that, you know, you um, as an up and coming, you know, sales professional might be better served working through, but other cases, right, it might be indicative that, you're not being challenged. And it sounds like at a fundamental level, you're saying, don't, don't let, let others, you know, uh, make decisions for you and don't follow arbitrary timelines, but really just look at, you know, your own growth goals and needs and, and whether you're being challenged and fulfilled in the way that you're seeking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like, yeah, I mean, sort of the, the most common refrain is kind of the, the years spent in a, a certain role. Right. And I, I even remember a, a conversation that I had with one of my former sales managers. So she wasn't actually my direct manager, but she managed, uh, you know, my cohort, like it's in the, the same team. And at the time I was an account executive and was sort of evaluating, okay, like what's going to be sort of the, the next step up here. And um, account manager role popped up. So it's just sort of a growth upsell team. I wasn't too seriously considering it, but I was, uh, I sort of hit a, the growth point at my current job too. So I was just like looking for, for what else was new. And I consulted this manager because I saw her as kind of being sort of a friend like that I could sort of talk to. And um, she, she gave me advice that I just, I just completely now looking back, I just did not agree with. And that was, Rachel, if you're an account executive, you know, you're a hunter, you're net new, um, you know, that's your role. Hiring managers are going to want to see a linear trajectory of growth. Yep. Right. So, you know, if you're an AE, stick with being an AE, then you're going to be a senior AE, you know, an enterprise E, let's say, uh, you know, strategic, maybe team lead management, you know, VP, et cetera. That's what people are going to like judge you on, basically. So, no, don't go for this, this account manager role. It's a step back. And that vice never really sat well with me. But at the time, I didn't really know even how to articulate why, uh, you know, I was a, a little bit younger. And, um, it was, it, it, I since have moved into different roles, right? I since went into like another company as a strategic AE, then went into partnerships. And I can only say that, you know, those experiences have, have enriched my perspective and I haven't lost the love for net new sales. I'd, I'd still go back into an AE role any day. Yep. Um, but I don't think that just because I've deviated from that linear trajectory, that it makes me somehow like lesser of a, a higher, totally. it's kind of like a, a bit of a, um, an outdated mindset to have. It, it's so interesting because, um, and I, I, I've got another question for you on, on kind of some of your advice around sales, but I, I see so many, so many hiring managers and, 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 and clients that we've worked with over the years that um, put so much focus on, you know, on linear trajectory as, you know, reflecting kind of their ideal candidate, often unstated. These are often the same organizations that just way over index on tenure, right? And often have flat out rules where they will not hire someone who's been too hoppy. And, and I think talent should be aware of that, right? Some companies have rules. If you have 
more than X hops in X years, we will not consider your candidacy, which I think is, is insane. But, and then at the same time, however, I see people incessantly posting very different advice on LinkedIn that, you know, that, you know, with the great resignation, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a gig economy for all. Like, don't worry about full-time work. Uh, don't the application process process is obsolete, you know, do your own side hustle, um, self-start your own business. I think some of that advice can be equally perilous for so many people. So it, it's got to be challenging, but I, I think ultimately you, you, you give some great guidance and at a fundamental level, you know, knowing yourself and your goals can, can take one a long way. I want to ask you about uh, some of your, uh, another post I think I saw about um, kind of recommending that, you know, sales is great for, for almost anyone. I'm, I'm curious if you can maybe, if I'm quoting you correctly, um, and if not, please, please correct me here. But, you know, if sales is a, is a great opportunity for, you know, so many professionals or maybe aspiring entrepreneurs, can you talk more about why and what you think, you know, others can learn from the craft um, that they may not have, you know, prior to tackling it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, there, like again, my my belief is that there's no better profession than sales to help you understand what you're made of, and that's what it right. ultimately boils down to. And the reason for that is, I mean, everything in life is selling, and this is something that I didn't even realize before going into to sales, right? And had to to really get good at it. But I just noticed so many like improvements in other areas of my life as soon as I got good at sales. So I speak from personal experience, right? right. And if you sort of see sales at, at its core, just being about understanding people's needs and helping guide them or, uh, you know, helping them arrive at a, a certain solution, you know, think about how uh, that would then extend into to other, other areas, right? So whether it's salary negotiations, uh, you know, interviews, uh, understanding and improving your own personal relationships, uh, you know, with, you know, your partner or your family or your friends, right? Um, social skills, <laughs> you know, like all everything that relates to, to people, I think, you know, getting good at, at sales will help you improve in, in that area too. So I, I honestly just tell everybody this, right? In terms of like people who are even like, you don't want to pursue sales as a, a full-time profession, try it out for a couple of years. I guarantee yeah. you'll be better even in your current role because it'll help you negotiate uh, you know, better opportunities. It will help you uh, manage up more effectively. It'll help you, uh, you know, influence other stakeholders, maybe internally at your organization better once you learn some of those, those fundamental principles. Even if you fail at the craft, I mean, it, I, it, is there an argument that some people, I mean, you know, I, I think without question, right, you, you've got certain dispositions and skills and, and frankly, intellect that I think has taken you a long way. Not everyone has that. I think you kind of comment on that as well. I mean, is it truly for, for everyone? Is there something to be said for even those who, you know, maybe don't have some of the, the basic skills coming into it to, to give it a, to give it a shot? I didn't have any basic skills coming yeah. into it. Everyone starts from zero. Right. right? Um, and listen, I, yeah, like, I mean, everyone approaches sales from a different lens, certainly, uh, you know, some are more, cerebral perhaps or yep. relationship focus, but character is something that everyone needs, right? Yes. And I think sales is just the one profession that helps you build character, like regardless of whether you, you know, end up pursuing it as a full-time 
career or not, just the act of being rejected constantly, being told no constantly, yes. having to sort of figure out, okay, like what, what are some ways that I can, you know, still reach my number, you know, still, still succeed and still carry on and pick myself up and you know, keep it going. Uh, you know, there, there is no other job in the world that I think, you know, gives you that, uh, that level of like thick skin and character. Yep. I mean, character is such a, uh, an underrated value in today's world. We, we talk so much about, you know, personal brand and mindset and, and all of these stupid business cliches for lack of a better word that get out there. But like, why do we not talk more about, you know, about character and trustworthiness and integrity? I mean, because to me, these all epitomize what makes for great professionals and great sellers, right? Yeah, there's like almost like an over-indexing of optics, Yep. How we well put. are perceived uh, and how others perceive us. And granted, reputation is important. Uh, you know, it helps you, it gets you further than if you had, you know, if it's something that you didn't uh, pay attention to. But integrity is what you do when no one's looking. Yes. Right. And that's not something that can be, that can be faked. So, and I, I think consequently, it's, um, it's something that not a lot of people focus on they're so focused on how like managing uh perceptions and being uh you know the the person that everybody likes or is you know <laughs> tries to optimize for popularity or you know all these different things when that's all fleeting right it, it's it's that's not what really matters at the end of the day no i, I, I so well said i, I think there's a, a lot more we, we could discuss here i maybe segueing from this i I want to ask you about a, a couple of your posts that um, I thought were really interesting and um, and provocative. And, and on the topic of mental health, and you know, I want to make clear I, I certainly have you know no uh, no expertise in in this matter myself. It's not something I've I've personally thought a, a lot about. But I, I thought I thought your 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 posts were really interesting and in, um, in in terms of really sort of sharing perspective that perhaps our efforts to promote sort of mental health so overtly. Um, you know, socially and digitally, you know, could be actually doing more, more harm than good. I'm curious. And, and again, if I've misstated you, please, please co correct me here, but I'm curious if you can elaborate on, on these views. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is what I'm, I'm seeing, right. Uh, and I think both of us have kind of noticed this, that there is kind of this proliferation of the mental health narrative that it's important to, you know, take care of our mental health. It's important to center it, you know, just there are programs, there's like, you know, um, entire industries based on improving our, our mental health. And I sometimes just wonder if there's something pathological about that. Yeah. And I say this from the perspective of, again, industry, I think it's profitable to keep people sick. Right. So if we want to kind of take a bigger picture view of this, uh, you know, think about the, the the healthcare industry. Think about you know how much money there is to be made there, and you know, just staying a little bit curious as to why suddenly uh, you know this is such a a hot topic, right? And are and noticing too, like, is there really an improvement in people's mental health with the rise of this narrative? I mean, I think you know, it's it's almost like every. Um, I'm going to actually take a step back. It's uh, it's it's become an identity, right? And for anyone who knows about any basic principles of habit formation, once something becomes your identity, it's there forever. Yep. Right. Um, 
so people are kind of like wearing their, their mental health status as a, a bit of a, a badge of honor. And I wonder if people realize that, um, you know, maybe there's, there's something a little bit insidious <laughs> about that potentially. So. Yeah. I, um, I think it's really, it, it's really interesting. I, um, you know, I, I, no question there are many people that have, you know, you know, intense, um, you know, mental, phys- physical, um, personal issues that they may or may not feel comfortable sharing, but it's interesting to me how it, it, it seems like all of a sudden you see a lot of this content out there and increasing guidance that it does feel at a certain level, very, very personally intrusive at times. I, 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 you know, I'll share kind of when I, when I'm kind of going through my, my LinkedIn feed and seeing all this, it's certainly not making me feel like I've got more autonomy and control over my life. It has quite the inverse impact on me candidly. So I think it's interesting what you, what you shared, but you know, it's also, it's very provocative content. I understand a lot of people, you know, feel really passionate about these issues. How, how do you know when, when it's, you know, do you have like, you know, sort of guidelines, you know, when you feel comfortable putting something out there for public consumption versus, you know, when you personally hold back and say, maybe this isn't a topic, you know, that I want to, that I personally want to tackle in the public. Cause I, I think it's, it's, I think everything you've said is, um, is important and provocative and, and should be open and subject to debate. But, you know, other times when, you know, when you feel like maybe it's best to hold, hold back because, you know, I don't want to you know personally offend others. I'm, I'm kind of curious how you think about that. <laughs> So I adhere to the mindset that, I mean, honesty is the best policy. And this is something that I've only really just like doubled down on in like, as I get older, right? I think, you know, when you're younger and you're still sort of unsure of yourself in the world, you kind of, you know, feel like you've got to conform to certain standards and, um, you know, sort of, uh, sort of covert, you know, rules of, of, side in terms of what's what you can say and what you can't say but as I've gotten older I just have like I've lost all desire to kind of conform to to those sort of implicit rules and um, I think it's because the and it goes with posting on LinkedIn right I really started becoming active probably three or so years ago right companies ago and what I realized was the more I was sharing kind of what was on my mind and what my true perspectives were, the more I was drawing in like-minded people Yes, and was having really interesting conversations. And I think that's actually literally how we came together, Chad. That's exactly it. (laughs) Right? Like we wouldn't even be having this conversation if I just was keeping it all in my head. Right. And I think the inverse thing that happens is you're going to repel people uh, who aren't like-minded and that's okay. I think it's kind of like being okay with the fact that you're not going to be liked by everybody. No one's going to, you know, people aren't going to agree with every view that you have. And that's, that's fine. Right. You're not for everybody. Um, My, yeah, my, my one, like the thing that gives me the most life in this world is being able to have conversations with people who are kind of on the the same page about things and doesn't mean they have to agree with everything that I say, but it does mean that, you know, you have to have a a certain um, desire for the truth really, um, you know, and a certain set of, of values. So yeah, there, there has been no bad effects from being honest in, um, in my view and just in, in my experience. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I, it's, you know, I, while I, I certainly have experience and appreciate that the business benefits to being on LinkedIn and building my presence, I mean, what draws me in is the opportunity to engage people like you. But, you know, unfortunately I find that there is not 
as much of that engagement opportunity out there as I would like to see. And as you were going through this, I'm, I'm thinking about a topic that really doesn't concern me that much, but it's something I've kind of, I've been curious about. And that is this, this whole notion of, uh, of, you know, promoting, you know, geo equity now is a new buzzword out there, geo equity in, in, in pay, right. That people should be able to be, to be, you know, anywhere and get the same salary. And there's um, something so, so facile about the arguments out there, but, you know, it's being put out there now by, by a lot of people. And, and there's so little kind of authentic engagement about that. And yet I, you know, I personally know like smart people, I know, you know, CFOs and company leaders who are really thoughtful about how they structure comp. And, and I, I know it's not a, it's not a simple issue, right. But there's so little meaningful engagement out there about it. And um, sometimes I think, you know, everyone's sort of incessant focus on using LinkedIn to you know, build their brand and get out there is, is happening at the expense of promoting, you know, engagement, debate, thoughtfulness that can help us better, you know, articulate our views and, and learn, right? Yeah. And when I notice that gap, Chuck, like my now automatic reflex is just to be that, that catalyst. Yeah. And I think that's a very, like, uh, it's an important shift to make because it's, uh, you know, it, I, I take this um, sort of stance that it is very easy to almost like point out what's wrong and what's missing and what's not out there or, you know, what's, you know, sort of broken, but it takes another level and pay, it, it's potentially a calculated risk to be uh, the, the solution, right? And uh, be that, that voice of change. So, yeah, now that's like an automatic reflex <laughs> that, you know, has, is something that I've just built up over, over time. But that's, that's, I think it's, it's proven to be, you know, very, uh, it's, it's paid off a lot. I think that's a really healthy and product. That's actually inspiring for me to hear that as a, as a rule of thumb when, when you're putting content out there. I mean, you know, this should not be about, you know, trying to be negative or a, or a naysayer, right? But when you, when you feel like there's an opportunity to, to, to lead by example, right? Which is, which is really what you're promoting here. This is great. Wow. Yeah. I have really, uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Which I, you know, my last question, and I, I asked this of, of all of our guests, but in, in your case, I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in hearing more about, um, you know, maybe what you're reading, what you're listening to. You've got so many great ideas. Um, can you share with our audience um, any, any recommendations you've got, whether, you know, books, podcasts, or, or a mix? Yeah. So for me, as I kind of, try to set the foundations up for this next chapter uh, of, of being an entrepreneur and joining this, this program. That's just what I'm throwing myself into, uh, you know, with, with full force because it's something that I don't have experience in, right? So a uh, couple of entrepreneurship books that have been really good. The Founder's Dilemma um, it talks about sort of like, you know, mistakes that startup uh, founders have, have made, ranging from, you know, successful, uh, you know, to, to ones that have failed. Talking to humans, is another one more about sort of customer uh, sort of research, market validation, like defining the problem and venture deals is another one. So we'll teach you, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the words and the jargon that's used in the, the BCPE, uh, you know, realm. So that one's a, it's been pretty good in terms of podcasts. I have a, a couple kind of going at all, all times. My first million is a, uh, is a good one. It's very um, ideas focused so less so kind of like just promotional for, you know, whoever, whatever guest comes on, but like it's very, very tactical and impactful, uh, I've found. And another one is Life Worth Chasing. 
So that's more of a kind of like a, a financial freedom type of podcast. So it talks about real estate, investing. Uh, that's also been something that I've been diving into a lot just over the, the last year or so. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for sharing all of that. Um, appreciate you uh, be, being a guest on the show. Wish you the best um, in your in your new pursuit here. I, I have no doubt you will be uh, be successful whatever you tackle. And I'm 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 glad I got an opportunity to to engage you on, on so many great topics here. So thanks again, Rachel, for joining us. Thank you so much, Chuck. It was awesome. All right. Bye. Bye.